out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall, always playing the finest in indie music from the golden decade, indeed. But we also like a special guest. This week, it is going to be the turn of Paul Hanley, musician, drummer and also author who's got his second book out. It is titled Have a Bleeding Guess, the story of Hex Induction Hour. Following on from Leave the Capital, A History of Music, Manchester Music, in 13 recordings, both pub- books are being published on Route Publishing. This one, Have a Bleeding Guess, is going to be out beginning of March. This is the interview about the book and a bit more besides. Um, and this is the first part and only part, in fact. But uh, once we had the pleasantries of saying hello, um, I mentioned about the English degree and the fact that it's coming useful. This was Paul's response. It was a great, great question. Not. Anyway, Paul, save this interview now. It has. I mean, it sounds a bit ridiculous to say it's changed my life, but it has really, yeah. Yeah. It's given me a whole new kind of lease on things, really. Now, second book now, which is quite amazed by really well i know and so just kind of briefly when you did you know you you gained your ba honors english yes. literature you know did you did, this was obviously after you'd completed leave the capital so right, wait, yeah. so was was kind of writing something that was kind of part of your life or, or was it something that you just thought actually i can have a go at this i've done bits of writing I, um a couple of things for louder than um Louder Than Words, which is a website uh, kind of magazine, music magazine. Is that magazine. John Robb? It is John Robb, yeah. So I've done a couple of things for that. And obviously, um, I did do some writing for a couple of fall um, fanzines. Um, one was called The Biggest Library Yet. And there was another one, uh, which I can't quite remember. The, the, oh, the, the Sued Mag was the other one. So I did that. And then obviously with starting the degree, then the whole thing of writing essays kind of opened it up really because... Once you start doing the creative writing thing, it gives you a kind of whole new way of looking at things, which I, I found really useful. So, yes, well, absolutely, and and thankfully, Root is it Root or Route Publishing? Has, well, has, I think it's Root. Yes, it is when I say it. <laughs> yes. So look, when I was growing up, and I'm sort of confess, I'm in my mid fifties, so you know, it was like the early seventies. My brother had one of those kind of you know, essential rock books that, um, you know, essential albums, you know, that you had to own. And it always had things like, you know, Pet Sands and Sgt. Pepper and Ziggy Stardust and all that kind of stuff. And then over the years, um, with the, the world of publishing has opened up. So now you've brought out this one on the full with one of their classic albums from the early 80s. So, I mean, I know it sounds like quite a boring question, but it probably is. But <laughs> when did you sort of get the idea to sort of bring that um, into print? Well, that was that was the people from Root said that they were going to do because I don't know if you're familiar with Thirty Three and a Third. They're like a yes, list. I they're am. one of those books. Which interestingly enough, Stuart Lee approached was uh, asked them about doing a Hex Induction album. They turned him down. They said it wasn't popular enough. But um, so Root said, um, Selwyn and Isabel said that they were going to do a book on Hex Induction art and would I be interested in writing it? And my overwhelming thought was that I didn't want anybody else to write it really. I had no, I, well, I hadn't occurred to me to write it before, but when they said, once they'd said that, and I thought, well, I can write this, and I'd rather I wrote it than anybody else. Yes. So that's why I did. 
Yeah, because because it's interesting because I do the show, the C eighty six show, so it's mostly well, virtually all eighties bands. So that mm-hmm. period of, of sort of, I know it's very simplistic, but you had the sort of punk period, then post punk, and then the eighties appeared, and that sort of um, that world of, I suppose, just slightly jingly jangly. But this this was kind of on the cusp between that two, those two kind of scenes before this kind of the Smiths suddenly appeared with their kind of yes. class, classic album. It's not a classic. Yeah. De- the debut album was a bit crap, really. Yeah. But, but the hat full of hollow, brilliant. Um, so so it's kind of an interesting period because obviously that, that for me, one of the most important thing was kind of the, the Thatcher years and sort of high unemployment and that sort of a lot of angst and anger. Yes. Um, so, so can you sort of, going back to that time in your mind, did it all, was it all sort of like opening the floodgates to a th- sort of therapy session? I don't think so. I think, well, obviously, the lyrical content of X Induction Hour it is pretty angry, but it's it's a it's a unique kind of anger. It's not like a political left wing Billy Bragg kind of anger, or it's it's completely unique to Mark. He he had his own way of looking at the world, really, and it's fascinating. I mean, I don't you know I don't pretend that I always agree with everything he said. Obviously, there's certain notable things on X Induction Hour which I would be at pains not to agree with, but um. I think it was it, the thing about Mark's lyrics is they're always interesting, and I think interesting is a really big, important part of music. It's you know you can have catchy, you can have you know whatever, but interesting even if even if you don't think you quite understand why whether or not you like it, it there's enough in there to make you go back and have re-listen to it. I think I think that's one of the reasons why Hex Induction Hour is, you know, has lasted. And it's one of the reasons why The Fall lasted as long as they did. Because they were all, even if you didn't like them, they were always interesting. They were always worth a listen, I think. Yes. Well, I, I the can... thing about Mark. Yeah, and, and I can remember during that period um, being one of those, you know, like obsessive John Peel people and buying The Enemy on a Wednesday. So so The Fall was quite interesting because I have to confess, it was like you'd buy the album and then go and see the tour and think, well, that's good. Most bands then have a few years off, don't they, and then disappear. Yeah. Where the, the Fall, it was like, OK. So my period was kind of up to the, I don't know what it was. It was probably during that um, 80s period up to I don't know a curious orange or something like that when I went to see them with Michael Clark so it was yes but I didn't realize they were it was almost like oh my god another fall album I don't know if I've, I've just literally just got the last one I'm just listening to yeah that. and the, so, the thing the thing was by the time the album came out if you went to see the band they probably weren't playing most of the album because I was look I was the part research of the book I was looking at the whole period of the, that lineup stayed together and by the time we played Australia which was in like the August I think of 1982 if you look at the set lists there's about two or three songs off Hex Induction Hour in the set I mean it only came out in March yes so it is it, the, the turnover of material was just ridiculous really and were you at that time I mean being in the band and and as a collective unit was it a kind of 24/7 sort of occupation that you were sort of had nothing else in happening in life that's pretty much I didn't I had nothing else going on except being in the fall really that was I mean probably a bit shamefully really given that you know you'd probably end up with 3 months off a year I didn't really do anything with that time which was as I say that's not it wasn't the greatest use of your time but the fall was because we Certainly when I joined, it wasn't like now where you do a tour and then you stop. It was just kind of drip feed of gigs all the time, really. Yes. I mean, they were obviously to go to Australia, you're going to do that as a tour. But between touring Australia or Europe or whatever, there was a drip, drip, drip of gigs in England. So it was all the time. 
to the point where we didn't really rehearse much because you were all, you know, you, there was always a gig to get to and you could rehearse there and sound check there. So we kind of missed out the rehearsal bit a lot of the time. Yeah. But it was pretty constant. And also, I grew up sort of um, in that period where, where Top of the Box was hugely influential. And confession time, I did want to be in Gary's gang. And they had. Oh, to... I loved a bit of Gary Clare, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Normally, he had some. I think he had some great records. Gary he Glare, had some but, co- uh, co- classic. And also, he obviously had the great kind of. You know, he had that driving force, which, which in a way, you can sort of. I don't know. Am I just making it up? But can you sort of get the the feeling of the glitter band a bit at times? Definitely, yeah. Well, as I say, the two drummer thing, the glitter band was one of the kind of touchstones really. I mean there weren't many for two drummers there was Adam and the Ants but that was kind of at the same time really yeah maybe a bit earlier but the, no they were the, that was it really I think the Grateful Dead had, a, had two drummers for a bit but I wasn't familiar with the work no and I think I think Tan might have done at one stage as well but the Glitter Band was certainly one of the big touchstones for that two drummer kind of pounding kind of motoric kind of thing and when you went in the studio to start recording the album was there you know was it a period that you've you know the vibe was good with amongst the band. Did it feel like you were on some sort of cultural zeitgeist? Well, I don't know if I'd ever, ever have the, uh, the the arrogance to say that I was part on a cultural zeitgeist at any point in my life. But it did feel we did feel that we did, there was some kind of creative peak going on. I think when Hector Induction Hour came out, there was a, definitely a progression from Dragnet to Slates to Hex Induction Hour. And one of the things I've mentioned in the book is that. Um, we had a place in, um, in Presswich that we had that was like an office and slash rehearsal room. So for Hex, we did do a bit more writing as a band. So that's part of the thing with the two drummers, I think. So it did feel like we were ready to record an album, whereas sometimes, and certainly with something like Room to Live, we, as far as I'm concerned, we definitely weren't ready to record an album. But with Hex, it was just kind of the stars aligned, really. We were ready to go. We had a new label. Mark was fired up about that. He had loads of ideas because one of the things about Hex Induction Hour is just full of ideas from the sleeve to the length of the album to the title to the way the lyrics sort of pass from one song to another. It's, yes. it's a problem in that respect. That's interesting because because um, obviously you know everyone who I interview sort of they have those kind of moments in music and not there's very few people who who have decide you know who decide they're going to just stick with music and you know you get people like David Bowie and Lemmy and obviously Mark as well. So it, it's kind of interesting how sort of people come and go in in the sort of the music world. But then a few years ago you you sort of got back together. Uh, well, in the band with Bricks. So th- did that yeah. feel like an interesting sort of progression and, and process? Well, it was. It was interesting. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. I mean, we first did it. We, we did it just on the back of Steve's book, really. And I think it was just a matter of the five people were in the same room. I think that was one thing. I, cer- I certainly had no ambitions for it to turn into anything other than just to do some gigs. I mean, that's the thing with being a drummer. You can't be a drummer in your house. You've got to get out there and do some gigs. But it, it, I've just been kind of carried along by the rest of it. Well, I, it's interesting enough. You suddenly wake up and turn around, you've done three albums. It's, it's, it was quite a shock to me, to be honest. Yes, that, that classic kind of 80s period of um, sort of, yeah, doing. And, and also there, there was that period of, you know, and obviously I just mentioned him earlier, the John Peel sort of um, 
the John Peel session because a lot of bands who you know I'm probably obsessed with in that period you know they get the you know they rehearse for about 12 months while being unemployed or 18 they get a single played then a John Peel session and then the first album and a bit of a tour so often it's when the second album comes out or they ever tour America which then seems to finish most bands off so yeah. the lifestyle lifespan of a band is pretty small so how does it compare did you tour America during that period at all uh, they they toured America without me. He, just after I joined, I was a bit too young to go to America, I think, for the tour. They did a massive tour of America. It was like something like four, 35, 40 dates just before we recorded Hex. That was with Carl. And then I came back on board and we did uh, Appeal Session and the Iceland gigs. And then Mark, in his wisdom, decided that we'd both be in the band. So... And I went. To, I ended up going to America with the fall the year, the next year in 1983. And you're right. It, I mean, it nearly finished the fall a few times. Famously, in 1998, when Steve, the whole or uh, three fifths of the band left at the end of the tour. And then again, when Steve Trafford, who's also in the extra K, he, that tour, that America finished that lineup off as well. So it's, it's it was all, it's always a bit tough that tour of America. I think. Yes. But, a lot about a lot of people have often sort of found um, that's the bit where they just hadn't ever realised that, that how punishing it was going to be, and actually playing yeah. the, playing the gig is almost like I don't know a bit like going to have a coffee. The rest of the time, it's just kind of having a fight. Well, not a fight, yeah. but just kind of endurance. I mean, and... It's just it's just that thing of five people who are who are they're only there because of the work. They're not, you know, certainly the later fall lineups. They, they weren't like um, childhood friends or anything. I mean, we we were. But we weren't with Mark, and it, I think people's people's habits tend to get on your nerves a bit if you're spending three weeks in the back of a van with someone. Their worst traits will begin to grate. I think that's part of it, and it, that's that must be the same for every band. I think. Yes, well, I, it, it, I remember watching Bad News, the comic strips Bad yeah. News, and it was, <laughs> and it does kind of have that point where you just probably want to kill each other. So when yeah. you were sort of, you know, following up that particular album, because you were in the full for, until you went to Ben Sinister. So did was that the point where you'd also felt that um, the mid. Almost the late, no, it's mid sort of eighties. Mid eighties, I like. So, yeah. did you was the writing on the wall at that stage that you know things you want you wanted to move on? Uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was a bit of a choice of mine, really. I made a conscious decision. I thought, I mean, rightly or wrongly, I was probably a bit, oh, well, I was definitely naive, but I thought I should try being in a band that was down to me because whatever the fall was, it was not, it wasn't a vehicle for my uh, ambitions. It was, I mean, I don't get me wrong, I loved being in the fall. I thought they were brilliant. But it was never going to be my band. So I thought, in my ignorance, that I should form a band with some friends and we should do what we'd done. And, of course, it sank without trace because we were terrible. But I think it was, it, I understood, I understand now why I did it. It was probably wasn't a good idea with hindsight, but that was why I left. Yes. And did you, because at that, that stage you got Brits in as well, was yeah. it... Was it an interesting process when band, you know, members were leaving and new people sort of joining? It was. It, it, yeah, again, it was interesting. Um, I, there wasn't much of it, to be honest. There wasn't much to and fro while I was in the band. There was obviously Carl came in and Bricks came in, but that was it, really. And the core of the band was exactly the same. Mark Riley went. That was a... I, I don't think interesting to be... That, that was horrible, that, because obviously Mark's... I've known Mark all my life. His parents are my godparents, and it was... It was horrible when he got sacked and we we were left with staying behind. I mean, Steve had the conversation with Mark where he said, I'll leave as well. And Mark said, no, because, I, you know, 
I'm not going to be responsible for you being on the dole because if you leave out of sympathy for me. And I think in the end, it was probably the right thing for Mark to leave. But it wasn't. It was a horrible uh, thing to have happen. Yes, it's never good, is it? It's no. never good. So when you revisited, you know, the album, doing the book, did it yeah. feel like quite an emotional process? Did it, you know, did it sort of unearth stuff that you'd slightly forgotten, but you felt, I've, I've got to put this down? Because, yeah, it unearthed lots of stuff I didn't, I'm not sure, even sure I've forgotten that I didn't know. I didn't really, didn't realise just how clever it was until I started researching it for this book. I mean, I played on it and I, I knew the music. But when when you start looking at the Mark's themes and the way he wrote it and the way he put the album together and the sleeve and the vorticism on the sleeve, there was so much more in there than I'd even realised. And I knew it was a great album. So when I started researching it, it got even better for me. Yes. And I just, you know, because often, often and, and the strange thing is, I've noticed that 30 or 25 to 30 years, it seems to be this passing of time where things get looked at quite differently. I don't know why. I'm, well, I could have a guess, couldn't I? But, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of, there's, you know, I think, you know, the water under the bridge, you, you know, other things have happened in life. You can then reflect on something that doesn't feel quite so raw or, you know, emotionally sort of like so, like, God, that I just, that just makes me want to have a sleepless night and scream at two yeah. in the morning. As, you know, I think that's probably one of the reasons that, you know, the passing of time is quite good. But I just noticed there's all these films that have come out on the go-betweens and, um, yes, uh, the, yes. The, God, I can't remember the New Zealand band with Martin Phillips's which oh the chills and yes. you know, there's L7 and even the Dolly Dolly mixtures as well have yeah. had films so it, it seems to be a, a sort of a thing that I we there's one about the Nightingales as well I think Stuart Lee's doing a Stuart Lee is, is back and and he's got that one coming out yeah. so do you, so have you got a theory on the on this kind of interest and and resurgence because obviously commercially it's not going to sort of be up there with Taylor Swift but at the same time there is there seems to be a feeling of sort of slightly revisiting archiving stuff at the moment no is it not always the case do you the people when they get to a certain age look back at the music that you always think the music that made you come alive in your late teens is the best music ever i think and i think people get to a certain point and when they they, they want to reassess their lives and the music is part of that i think I and mean, certainly for some people music's a massive part of that. and it's massive it was a massive part of my life and i'm not just talking about musicians yes you know people look back at the music of their youth and they want to try and understand it later on. And there's a, there's a big compunction to do that. And I can understand why. Um, I think, I think it is just, it's just a cycle, I think. So in the, you know, you get in the eight, in the nineties, there was a big thing for the Beatles and, you know, you get Oasis and people reassessed a lot of that. And there was revolution in the head and then the anthology thing. I think it's just, that's, that the kind of gap that you need to be able to look at, I suppose, because it is—it's too close, isn't it? Sometimes you can't really look at these the events of those times and the music of that time until there's been enough passing of time for you to be able to assess it properly. I think. Yes, and also, you know, it's kind of interesting having sort of when we were sort of growing up because we we're virtually the same age. Yeah, so I just realised. Um, you know, the, the idea of a tribute band is kind of like, oh my god, that's a terrible idea. But then, you know, tribute bands have become—I don't know—a little bit more uh, not sort of. Uh, yeah, you know, we're not so... They're waiting out the tribute bands. Tri- they are just... It's, it's weird is thing. your enjoyment of a band that plays the songs of New Order enhanced by the fact that they look a bit like New Order? It's a weird <laughs> one, isn't it? It's really strange, because I went to see... I went to see... Um, I don't know how I ended up there, but we went to see the Smythes, I think it was, and Reorder, <laughs> who were a tribute band for uh, 
the Smiths and New Order, obviously, and the, the Smythes, I think they were called, but they were like dressed the same. He had a guy who, with Morrissey's quiff and flowers hanging out of his back pocket. But whereas Reorder, they, they were just however many people who just played like New Order. So I don't know which one. I don't know what. Do, do you want to be able to see the band? Of, I'm not sure. It's weird, isn't it, the tribute band thing? Because I mean, don't get me wrong, some of them are absolutely, they play better than the real band. Yes. Some of them. That, that's quite true. And I, I suppose it was. Um, Yes, because I was thinking it's a bit like when we listen to classical music, it's been you know composed by people way dead, but we don't sort of feel that critical. Whereas when there that moment where you had that T Rex person coming in, to, yeah. you know the first tribute band, he was then, the first one really, one of T Rex to see, was it? Yeah, it was. and then there was Led Zeppelin, and there was all those kind of early ones, and it was like, oh, yeah. it's a bit odd. I can't even go there emotionally. But then I realised, as as you know, a lot of the artists are, are sort of passing away, sadly. Um, you know what comes with the legacy, and I, and I'm thinking, you know, part of it is is the films, people are archiving them before everyone just passes away and the stuff in the attic gets thrown into the bin. And and sort of bringing out books like you, yeah. like this particular book, I can see it's a way of the, the sort of the work being sort of reevaluated before we all sort of um, the next stage, you know, <laughs> yeah. without, get, without it was, getting... It's important to write this book before I die, yes, that's, that's, that's very true. Yeah. That is true, you know, because otherwise <laughs> it's it's the sort of, it's like otherwise things get a bit sort of pushed or forgotten, don't they? And then you just go, oh no, it's really... Amazing. And it's not just people just wanting to live in their past and be 18 again, because that's probably quite a hideous idea, even though there are, would be advantages like better legs and not dodgy knees. But, you know, at the same time, I, I can see that, you know, the, the writing and publishing of books, as well as the films, is, is kind of an important way for the next generation to go, actually, the fool were genius. Well, I, I didn't want to write a Wikipedia page either. I wanted to the, the writing to be interesting in and of itself really i mean i was pretty i wasn't naive enough to think that someone who'd never heard the fall would be massively interested in a book about x induction hour but then like i say i didn't want it to be a list of facts and figures you have to have something in the writing that makes it interesting itself i hope i mean otherwise why would you write it you know there's there's no need for me to say we went in the studio on the third of january and we came out or whatever you can look that up on the internet quite easily so i wanted to to tell the story of X induction hour properly. Yes. Not from like, look at, look at me. I was great. Because that was another thing. My big thing that I tried to keep in mind while I was writing, it was that my, my perspective was no more or no less important than anybody else, because it would be easy to do either of those. I think to try to be, it'd be easy to write myself out of the picture completely and talk about they all the way through. Or it'd be easy to say, you know, I did this and I was great and that's why this is a great album and I didn't want to do either of those things really and I hope I haven't. Yeah. And getting kind of the footnotes help with that because you can you can adapt a different voice in a footnote. You can say like this is me now talking. This is the story of the fall and by the way this is what I think of it in a footnote. It, it kind of helps with the schizophrenia of the whole thing. And also getting the other members to talk about it as well. Yeah. Did anybody decline? Well, not in so many words. No, I couldn't didn't track Carl down, went up to where he used to live, but he's taking himself away. I mean, when Dave Simpson did that book about when he tracked down all the members of the fall, he didn't speak to Carl either. And I was a bit disappointed about that because what I didn't, I didn't really want the same gap in the book as Dave Simpson had, but it was just one of those things. If he, if he doesn't want to talk about it, that's up to him. Yes, Absolutely. And how did it feel sort of interviewing the people, you know, the past musicians about the book? Did they sort of, sort of have to sort of take a bit of a deep breath to sort of go back and think about it? I think they did, yeah. I mean, uh, Steve's, because obviously Steve's written, wrote his book, so he's a bit more 
he's a bit on the same wavelength of words because he had to go back to do that process, that reevaluation himself for his own book. But Mark Riley and Craig haven't they haven't really thought or talked that much about it. Mark a little bit because obviously he's a public figure a bit more with him being on on Six Music. But Craig's kind of sort of put it to one side. So that it was it was interesting because the other thing, of course, we we never talked about music even while we were in the fall. We never said how did you write that or what do you think this lyric is about? Or I really like that chord progression. It was just something that we didn't talk about. So this was kind of the first time we'd ever really talked about the process of writing an album. Yes. And sort of um, now this book is about to come out. Have you it's, got plans of other uh, um, any other projects? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, I'm always writing now, which is it's, it's like one of those things, like flicking a switch, really. Once you start writing, you, you, you kind of have some kind of writing on the on the go all the time. There is, I've got one uh, a book that I'm planning at the moment. I can't really say what it's about at the moment because it might not come off. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm just I'm just getting into starting that now. But uh, it's not about the fall and it's not about me. That's that's the main thing I, I'm not doing at the moment is writing about myself. Yes, and just uh, just lastly, on your you know the previous book you did, Leave the Capital. How did that sort of what was the sort of outcome of that? You know, what did you sort of discover after publishing it and the sort of I don't know communication and people sort of getting in touch with you. I just wondered, you know, because yeah. whatever you do in life, there's, there's sometimes a repercussion. I'm sort of hopefully yeah. a good repercussion. I just wondered what, what sort of what was the sort of outcomes? Well, the, the main, th- well, not the main thing, but one of the things I wanted to do with Leave the Capital was to say, yes, look, you know all about the Smiths and Joy Division, but there's a whole raft of really, really sort of amazing Manchester music from like a generation before, two maybe two generations before, from the 60s. And this is the reason why Manchester is a musical hub, if you like, because these people took... And I got a fair bit of people um, feedback from people saying, I didn't know that about Graham Gullman and Eric Stewart and Herman's Hermits, because Herman's Hermits would have dismissed as a bit of a joke, really. But they've got some great songs, and two of them built the studio where the Smiths recorded the first album, you know, and... It's an, there's an important legacy there. I, that was that was the feedback I was hoping for was people discovering stuff they didn't know about Manchester music, and I got a quite a good bit of positive feedback about that. Yes, I was just thinking. The other one was that I, I was amazed. I didn't think drummers could write books, but that was the other bit of feedback I got, and that was quite gratifying as well. Fantastic. Well, look, Paul, thank you ever so much for your time, and thank you for getting that together. And it's been good. And I'll tell. Um, is it Ian? Is it Ian? Yeah. Is it, well, it's, it, it, sometimes it's Ian, sometimes it's, it's like the Lone Ranger, really. You know, he's got a secret identity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a good thing. Anyway, look, thank you ever so much. And have you got any plans for, uh, with the band as well? Not a lot. We've got a couple of things coming up this year. We've got, uh, we're playing the Wakefield Festival and... No, that's just, this is terrible. I've not got my PR head on here now. We've got another gig somewhere else <laughs> for the life of me. I can't remember where it is. And, being, sure and, just, and, and just to, I mean, is that sort of being in that particular band, is it a completely different sort of experience and vibe to um, anything that you've done before? Well, it is. It's completely, it's not, it's not a career for me, which is a different vibe from the bands, the, the fall, certainly. Well, career is probably the wrong word, but it's not what I do, if you know what I mean. Yes. The it's, it's something I do when I'm not doing what I do, if, if that makes it. If that's not too many uses of the word do in one sentence. Well, I but remember sort of like, I interviewed Brits when, it, that you know, that was just coming together in the early years or months. And she said it's just, you know, like people are just a lot more kind to each other and no, yes. one's, and no one's going to start to get really sort of a massive ego and throw a wobbly. Well, just... No one would 
put up with that these days. And you know, we're all too long in the tooth to be putting up with bad behaviour. Really, it's yes. just not acceptable. There is no Rick Mail in the band, is there? <laughs> I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, bad news still actually. Yeah. I just saw watched it over Christmas and it's like oh god it was fantastic. So um, I, I tell you what that always strikes me that's amazing about that is which came first that or Spinal Tap because well, I'm not sure either was ripped off the other. Well, actually, it's interesting because I had exactly that conversation. I had to look and it, it, the bad news was out much earlier. It was it was like really early eighties and. Uh, Spinal Tap was 86 and it was it was like oh okay that's an interesting narrative I, t- I hadn't realized and I I sort of I bought the box set of the comic strip just for curiosity mm-hmm. it was also quite cheap on eBay and um, I knew most of them were pretty dreadful but they are some one or two classics I couldn't believe how many they actually made at that time which was yeah. boggling again God knows what they were drinking and smoking but they were on a creative role I mean it was it wasn't just one or two they just made so many and um, Bad News was just one of those early ones and it just it's kind of genius especially about drummers because it was yeah. <laughs> it's not as good as Spinal Tom no but but there was definitely then what is know, Yes, I know, Spinal Tap cracked it. The exploding <laughs> drama. But look, Paul, have a fantastic day. Thank you very much. And um, don't get too blown away tomorrow. No, no. There's a gale coming in. Is it Clara, is it? It's Hurricane Clara coming in tomorrow, I think. They mentioned 60 mile an hour winds. Yeah. And I'll I, stay in tomorrow. I think so. Don't put your washing out. Anyway, <laughs> look, thanks ever so much. And I'll um, when I put this out, I'll um, do the usual stuff around the block. Great. Okay, okay. then. Thanks a lot. Best of luck. Take care. Bye-bye.